Hey, Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And this episode of Geekscape, we're going to be doing a deep dive on Dave Stevens, who is the creator of The Rocketeer. Uh, the Rocketeer film by Joe Johnson is one of the reasons that I got back into comic books as a teenager. Um, I was past my adolescence at that point. I was probably 11, 12, 13 and seeing the Rocketeer on the big screen and being a big fan of the Ninja Turtles and all that post-Tim Burton Batman stuff on the big screen really got me back into comic book stores. And I've been in comic book stores ever since. Really, Dave Stevens and the Rocketeer play a big role in that. In this episode, I got to sit down with Kelvin Mao and Rob Chatlin. They put together this brand new documentary all about Dave Stevens. It's called Dave Stevens Drawn to Perfection. And they have a Kickstarter that's ending as soon as I put this episode up. It ends on the 2nd, so I'm going to put this episode up on December 1st. And if you go to Kickstarter and search for The Rocketeer or Dave Stevens, you're going to find the Kickstarter. They, they're so well past their goal on this one. They were looking for fifteen grand to put together the film and release it on Blu-ray. They're over eighty grand right now. That just shows you how much people love The Rocketeer. If you're not familiar with Dave Stevens or The Rocketeer, which sounds insane to me if you're a pop culture fan. Um, but uh, please listen to this episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I learned a lot. Dave Stevens, I describe as an enigma. He's a creator whose body of work before he passed away uh, at a young age. Uh, influenced a lot of people, was influenced by a lot of people, and really left a pretty indelible mark on comics. And uh, we talk a lot about them in the next hour. So be ready to get educated. I think this is a really fun episode, a great conversation. And share it with your friends if you learn something. Hey, Geekscapists, I'm here with my good friends, Calvin Mao and Rob Chatlin. Uh, they have a brand new movie out this week. It's called Dave Stevens Drawn to Perfection. And I hope you all are familiar with Dave Stevens. He's the uh, artist creator of The Rocketeer, but he's responsible for so much more. And he's uh, really a bit of an enigma still, in a sense, when it comes to the comic book community, because his body of work is from, it really existed over a short period of time when you think about some of the luminaries of comics. And this documentary, having watched it, and of course, knowing about Dave Stevens' career since I got into comics, it, um, it, I think he deserves a place among a lot of those people who established the art form and brought it to levels uh, that we appreciate today. I mean, obviously, Geeks Gabus comics are everywhere. We see them on the big screen. They are absolutely a part of our um, our cultural zeitgeist. And I think Dave Stevens deserves a place in there. Um, Kelvin directed the movie. Robert, you helped produce it along with Kelvin and edited it. Uh, let's let's get into it. Um, what was your process of of putting this film together and getting involved? 
Uh, it was all Rob's fault, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not all sure if you remember it the same way. <laughs> um, but it did, you know, this is this project was like a child of the pandemic, as you know, a lot of people sat, were sitting around uh, for a long time. And uh, I think it was uh, late fall of uh, 2020. And we'd all been working on little film projects, you know, separately, you know, like the three of us. And um, uh, Rob had just finished doing a, another documentary on a, a Scotch uh, malt whiskey uh, that um, was supposed to come out in April in Scotland. But of course, April in 2020, no one did anything anywhere. So, um, you know, he's like, what, what, what about doing another project? So uh, it was actually him that brought brought, brought it, uh, came up with the idea. So Rob, Rob, tell us your process, because I don't. No, From my no. recollection, we were we were playing poker over Zoom because everything was Zoom that time, and just you know the game got boring or I had bad cards most likely, and the idea came, hey, let's do this documentary on Dave. I knew that Kelvin was friends with Dave uh, towards the end of his life, and it seemed like a great idea. So we talked about it, did a little research, found out there's nothing else out there, and we all agreed on it. It's like, hey, this is great, and we went forward. So we had, you know, six months basically of pandemic pre-production to do research and to plan and to arrange our interviews and get a crew together and build our team and get everyone on board with our passion project until we were able to start production in April once, you know, vaccines were out and everyone was starting to open up again. So this is a movie that really has come apart uh, or I'm sorry, come together in like the last uh, 18 months. If any, I mean, production wise, like there's, you had your six, six months of pre-production and that was two years ago. You started that. And then come April, 2021, if I heard that correctly, y'all started putting interviews together. That's right. April uh, 2021 was our first, uh, our first interview. We were going to do one in December as a test, but uh, previous December, our uh, interviewee got uh, ill, not with COVID, but, uh, and then that sort of um, told, basically told us, Hey, look, let's just try and get our ducks in a row. Uh, and get, you know, and, and where, you know, it's, it's not like a, a little, it was a little easier, you know, and wait until it's a little bit less uh, stressful to, to all involved, you know, to, uh, to start shooting. Um, and the movie comes out this week. So, I mean, that is 18 months after y'all started production for the most part. And uh, that's a pretty aggressive schedule when it comes to documentaries, usually documentaries because of the amount of footage and just the amount of travel to get the footage in the scheduling with, uh, you know, this is, there's not like a production window, like a traditional fictional production. You, you stretch this thing out over months and availability. Um, that's pretty aggressive guys. Uh, was there a date you were hoping to hit with this December 2nd release? Yes, yes. Um, it, not with the second uh, specifically, but you know, from the beginning, it was sort of baked into us the, 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 the 1990 or 2022 is the uh, 40th anniversary of the Rocketeers creation. And so right in the beginning, we're like, okay, let's try and we need to do a de have a deadline just, you know, to keep driving us forward something to, to, to aim for it. So because you know, we're doing this on weekends and stuff. And um, so that was always in our mind. And, and you know, so our goal was actually to screen some version of it at San Diego Comic-Con this year, which which did work. And then, you know, as it turns out, there's a lot to, to involve with releasing a film that has nothing to do with making it. So <laughs> after that, we found that out, you know, uh, the hard way. So after the film was actually uh, finished, we uh, then we just were just scrambling. Let's try and have this be released sometime in the calendar year so that we can kind of keep that, you know, 
goal in mind and try to fulfill that 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 part of our original brief so it it seems amazing to me that the what you just said that this is the 40th anniversary of dave's i guess signature creation he created a lot of things over the course of his career and the fact that it's been 40 years since the creation of the rocketeer uh is both incredible um but it also a bit of a testament to how powerful that that character was because 40 years was 1982 and there was a film on the big screen within what 10 years of the the character's creation i credit that late 80s teenage mutant ninja turtles tim burton batman inspired influx of fandom as getting me into comics as a 10 year old and uh the rocketeer was a big part of that going to see the rocketeer with my my father and my brothers was a magical experience i think it's one of my favorite joe johnson movies he's in the documentary geekscapist he talks a bit about the production of that film um i don't remember the film being a box office kind of disappointment as it was kind of depicted a little bit it um i love the movie i know that it's gained fans in the years since uh but the documentary says that after all the work and struggle in this in going from studio to studio to try and get a rocketeer film up on the big screen um it it underperformed did that hurt the legacy of the rocketeer or dave's um sort of uh fire to to keep working on the project I think, I mean, you know, it, it, oh, go ahead, Galvin. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, Robbie. Go ahead. You, 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 this one. you know, the movie had the high expectations that coming off of Batman that made Bank. They're, Disney thought they had their own version of it and, a pro, you know, probably a franchise opportunity. And for whatever reason, it just didn't connect at that time. Dave, you know, naturally soured more on Hollywood and the process of making films than the actual character and everything. Uh, but as in the film, Danny Bilson, the co-screenwriter, says that it has grown over time. It's found its audience later in life, and people appreciate it now. And throughout our filmmaking process, a lot of people we talked to said, oh, yeah, I love that movie that influenced me, that really had a special impact on my childhood. And that's how they all jumped on our bandwagon, because of the film. So in that case, it's, it's a victory, and it's a success. I mean, there's something interesting about the Rocketeer as a period piece. Now, to me, the Rocketeer is, you know, being a period piece is sort of baked into the concept of what it is. And uh, and making, having made a movie, you know, Joe Johnston having made this movie in 1991, you know, it's, you know, a lot of movies from the time period or any time period are dated because they're set in that time period. But making something that's set in the 30s, you know, I think has given the movie a timelessness to it where it still holds up, you know, you know, it, none of that stuff feels hokey. There's no, there's no music that's too grounded in that period of time. And I think that really sort of helps it. And I, I think that helps the comic book too, uh, that the comic book ages quite well because it's always set in this time period that, you know, is a, a kind of a classic vintage period, no matter when you, you could have read this thing, even in, in 82, it feels the same way as it does in uh, 2022. So. And what's, Great. And I think you you did a really great job, guys, on depicting this in the documentary and really nailing this is that uh, Dave Stevens, Geekscapist, if you're not familiar with Dave Stevens, uh, then I've failed in my job as a, as, as the host of this <laughs> podcast. Um, because you're redeeming yourself, so thank you. I, I meant what I said earlier that, uh, and you said this in the documentary, that, that Dave Stevens came out of the 1970s 
San Diego Comic Con was starting at that time. He was in those early cons. He was part, you know, his first, his wife, at, you know, that he met at the San Diego convention um, was an early cosplayer. Now cosplay is big, but a lo- but he was at the crest of the wave that became the eighties, that became the nineties, that became where we are now. And um, even though he was contemporaries of people like Bernie, Bernie Wrightson and some amazing artists during the seventies. And he understudied people like Jack Kirby and these legends from the forties, fifties, sixties that were part of, uh, I mean, but there's photos of him with Bob Kane, et cetera, in, in the uh, documentary. Um, he had influences that were almost similar to Norman Rockwell in depicting that era that you talk about that 1930s American uh, dream era. And that, also lends itself to his fascination with Betty Page, his love of Betty Page, which turned into a, a in-person relationship later on um, with an elderly Betty Page. Uh, I think that adds to the timelessness. Uh, what were some of the things that you discovered when you think about Dave Stevens? And I don't want to put, I mean, as sort of a man out of time, is that correct? Would you say that? Yes, I, I've always I used to always joke with Dave himself and say that you were nostalgic for your parents' childhood, uh, <laughs> you know, because he never he never saw that time period. But, you know, he used to say that, like, where he grew up, you know, uh, you know, in Portland, in um, in Idaho and, and also in Southern California, that there were remnants of those time periods, still re- people's houses, you know, I mean, the same music was being played. And so he got to see like sort of the trailing end of that being, you know, like growing up in the, the mid in the fifties. Yeah. He was um, born in 1955. Right. Right. So he's, so that stuff really imprinted on him. And so it really does guide all of his aesthetic from the cars to the airplanes. You know, he, you know, he really loved that, that era design and that's what appealed to him. And then once cars and airplanes started to look different, I think that he started to lose interest. Um, I don't know that he ever, could have done a um a story that was set in completely contemporary with 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 just without those trappings um uh and and that's why i think like you said the rocketeer is sort of like the the period part of it is baked in to it and the the nostalgia for um you know obviously an idealized you know the best of you know that that period of time and kelvin you knew dave later in his life um how did you meet Dave? Well, I actually met Dave in 1992. I moved out to LA in 92. It was my first San Diego Comic Con, which I had to, I had an unbroken streak of going to the show until this last convention. But um, this I think past I met year? him the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh. unfortunately, I got COVID right before the show. Well, well uh, but, Dave, um, uh, well, uh, I'll tell you, Kevin, I'm about to put in r- for rooms for as it, we've been exhibitors for the last 11, 12 years. And so, you know, we should be promoting your documentary there next summer. Right, today's today's the day. I think my wife is doing the same thing. Yeah, tomorrow morning the the, 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 the exhibitor rooms open up. Uh, it'd be fun to to have you shake some hands with some geekscapers if they hear oh, yeah, you on sure. this we'd interview be, to come love. put faces with the names and the voices. Yeah, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but in oh no, that's all right. You, uh, you so I met Comic Con. Yes, I met him at the San Diego Comic Con like quite early on, like when I first moved out here, but didn't become friends with him until around 1999. I started collecting original comic book art uh, a year or two into going to San Diego and discovering it there. Were and, you uh, intimidated Dave's art... by Dave? Hmm? Were you intimidated by Dave? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, it, Dave had this reputation in that sort of world of artists. and art. I mean, he was a real you know, artist, artist. Other artists looked up to this person. And, you know, um, even though even that they were not necessarily much younger than him. Uh, but so he was he such a, a perfectionist that exactly. his artwork was. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Continue. I, oh, I'm no, no, just... no. Uh, so, so, you know, like, you know, at some point I, I got the gumption to try and, oh, I'd like to own a piece of Dave Seaman's artwork. And a friend of his introduced us in San Diego or WonderCon in like 1999 ish, somewhere around there. And, um, and probably right around the time that he, he became ill, but I didn't know this for, I probably didn't know for like two or three years. Um, we had an interesting relationship in that respect. I think at one point he just acknowledged that I must know. <laughs> and one, at some point I realized, oh, he's not hiding it anymore. So I wouldn't, we would never talk about it really. But like there was a sort of, uh, you know, unspoken under, understanding. But look, the people in the documentary, the people that are cast are many of them knew him from, you know, the 70s and much longer and much, much better than, than I did. So. His relationships are something that I think are really interesting and not, not just his romantic relationships, but the level of perfectionism that he brought to his work and Geekscape is please, if you're listening to this, be Googling, be searching out Dave Stevens's artwork. Uh, there's just a level to it that you don't find often in comics, maybe because of the time it takes to make a comic book. Uh, comic books are a monthly title and they, they come out every month. So Artists have to work very quickly. We've had Rob Liefeld talk on this podcast about how he designed Deadpool. And it's basically Spider-Man without all the webs he had to draw to draw Spider-Man so that he could draw <laughs> Deadpool and make deadlines very quickly. And that's the essence of Deadpool's design. And so as comics artists are trying to work very quickly, Dave was somebody who was a perfectionist and would painstaking spend a lot of time, sometimes six to ten times as long as it took other artists. And, in although a lot of places liked the quality of the end result, the deadlines were always missed. And that level of perfectionism, did he hold his friends and his relationships to that high regard? It seemed like that tripped them up a bit in his romantic relationships. He was not, in many ways, he was not a flexible human being. Um, and I got to experience this and, you know, I, you know, my my father, you know, also passed away of, of of a kind of cancer. So like I, people get older and they're very inflexible. You know what I mean? Like, and and they especially if they're put in a situation where you know they're really stressed or you know it's it's unfamiliar territory. And so, um, and uh, you know it's hard it's hard for me to say. I don't I didn't we didn't have the kind of relationship where we talked about his romantic relationships. I would see people sort of flit in and out here and there, but it wasn't really the nature of what to me it's more just about Dave was an artist that like lived his aesthetic. That's something we discovered during the film that there's a guy who was art directing himself even when people weren't watching. It was almost like he was living a movie and he was directing it and he wanted it to be the, the way he wanted it to be. And so I'm sure his relationships sort of, you know, obviously it's with another person or more other people clash with the idea that you can control this sort of storybook, you know, perfectly curated, you know, art directed uh, uh, sensibility. Um, but, um, you know, we did talk to obviously um, his ex-wife Brink and and some of his other, uh, some of his models who got to sort of see some of his uh, uh, relationships firsthand. So, yeah, I think it was tough. 
um, to have an ideal in your mind that you're going for all the time with artwork. And and with his work, you know, he he did do a lot of commercial artwork, which I think we touched upon. And that was sort of a lot of times his bread and butter and the rent money when he um, was really working on the comics as a side. Uh, and that's, I think, where he could kind of relax, that the job was something quick and singular and he would be done with it. It would never come up again. And then he could like let that sort of thing go. You know, I mean, if you're doing a wine ad for Gallo Wines or a toy design for Tommy, like I don't think that had the same kind of personal uh, importance to him as the Rocketeer or a Betty Page drawing or, or anything like that. But his Raiders story uh, boards doing the the visualizations for Spielberg's Raiders, I mean, that is right up his alley. That stuff is almost, um, you know, it, that stuff is in the same sort of uh, league as is what he does in the Rocketeer. I mean, it's the same era. It's the same kind of tone. Um, that stuff was incredible. And I did not know until I'd seen the documentary that Dave um, – did storyboards and did some of the the visuals for a lot of those Hollywood films. It's pretty incredible. Well, we discovered a little bit about this. I mean, he could be driven. Um, Rob, you want to tell the story? He could be driven to do, to put more into his commercial work on occasion, but it had to be a very special situation. And Raiders was one of them, I'm guessing. Uh, Yes. Rob, Rob, you want to talk for him? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I, yeah. It checked all the boxes he had. All right, I'm going to lose it. You, you tell it, Calvin. I'm not going to get this. All right. Well, well, you know, it's 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 the it was the back and forth really that we found out about from uh, I think it was Jeff Darrow and and uh, and Bill Stout that you know he was sort of caught between Steven Spielberg and George Lucas uh, in terms of like um, how to approach this. Steven Spielberg really loved the storyboards, and storyboards are generally supposed to be just enough to give you a direction i mean if you were if you are a film director a lot of times you just do it yourself and if you're not an artist it just looks like stick figures with camera moves and stuff just telling you just as a as a little journal of how you want this thing to to go from a shooting uh you know camera work perspective um but you know of course dave being dave you know did these illustrations they look like you know full-on illustrations are better than you know better than any comic book at the time anyway Um, except maybe the rocketeer but um and then, you know, George Lucas is saying, well, hurry the heck up. You know, this isn't supposed to look like this. And so Spielberg loves him. Yes, yes, more and more. And then Lucas is sort of, you know, with his eye on the clock. And so he's going a little crazy. But, you know, he's definitely, um, Dave is definitely like a, a compulsive guy. He he had to do it the way that he um, wanted it to be done. He, he wouldn't leave his desk, you know what I mean, until you'd have to really wrestle it away from from him if he wasn't. Uh, 100% satisfied, which which I don't know how if that ever happened, but um, and the same thing with the the thriller the thriller uh, storyboards. He he was friends with Michael Jackson. I think you know Michael loved, loved his artwork, and and I think having that kind of relationship with the filmmaker with the you know um, is what sort of charged him up to to do you know, go above and beyond what something like a storyboard would, would normally require. And I got so excited watching this documentary when you saw, you just mentioned Jeff Darrow. And Jeff Darrow is somebody who has also done Hollywood um, visualizations and storyboards. He worked on the Matrix films. And talk about painstaking detail in his work. I love Jeff Darrow's artwork. It is pains. It is my definition of a painstaking artist. The amount of, I mean, he draws every rock in the desert on some of these things. And phenomenal. Uh, and of course, Adam Hughes, whose depictions of 
his characters have a, a sense of that um, 1930s aesthetic as well. I love the way Adam Hughes draws and paints his characters. Uh, were there, was there anything that you discovered uh, about Dave that you didn't know going into this documentary? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure Rob, Rob discovered some things as he, he... I, I was not as familiar because I did not have the friendship. I, you know, I first discovered the Rocketeer, interestingly enough, when I moved to California in 91. One of the very first things I ever did in California, Los Angeles, was a test screening of the Rocketeer film. And it was unfinished, no effects, a lot of placeholders, and it was just sort of eye-opening to start this career. And then, of course, you see the finished product a year later, and it's like, okay. So that's how you connect to those dots. But in terms of Dave's personal life and artistic life beyond the Rocketeer, it was all new to me. So I had this sense of, I was on the journey that the audience will be on, discovering these little things along the way, connecting the dots and realizing, oh, this influenced that to that, and that harkens back to these other things, and then jumps forward to the future. Uh, the only thing, the one thing that I did not discover that we were unable to really find an answer to is how Dave first sort of fell in love with Betty Page. Where did he discover Betty? And that's something I think that just lost the time as a teenager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he probably enjoyed that. And it was a revelation to me that, that he saw the Frazetta stuff in the same way. And I mean, I think y'all dance around it, but let's just face it. Uh, our, phases of puberty or were responsible for so much of us getting into things like Frank Frazetta, Betty paid the pinup stuff. I mean, we start discovering comics sort of in our adolescence, I guess. And, and we're kind of, you know, there, there's the newsprint stuff. There's the spinner rack. When you're a kid, you, you're wait, you're hanging out reading comics while your parents do the grocery shopping. Uh, but then as you start to get into puberty, some of the depictions of the uh, of the women that the way that Frazetta would do it or the pinup artists or Adam Hughes does it. I mean, that stuff is exciting to a kid. And I got to imagine that that was the stuff that uh, the, that Dave got into and was like, oh, my goodness, how can I recreate this? And not only that, but uh, the sense of control that Dave had um, not only on his own work, but sometimes it would it would work its way into relationships with other people. Uh it seems like a tight wire act. And there's a portion of the film and Geekscape is I want you to watch the movie because I think Dave is incredibly fascinating. Um, and there are parts of me that don't agree with him, like the perfectionism that he had in his relationships romantically, like you hinted it. I don't know how definite this was, but some, what made him maybe a ladies man was not only his confidence, but was anybody good enough for him? And there's a letter that he wrote to his ex-wife that's in the, the message that he writes to his ex-wife um, in Geekscape. So I'm not going to spell it here, but um, years after, you know, they, they, they remained friends, but years after their marriage, the letter, the, the message he writes is just painful. Um, as David, as Dave got sick and his mortality started becoming something that he's wrestling with, Again, he had so much bravado, and I love the sequence where he's wearing a pirate shirt. Like, what else is bravado but somebody who thinks he can pull off a pirate shirt in public um, and still get women with it? Uh, you know, Kelvin, 
did he start thinking about the time that he had and in, in those relationships and in things that he had maybe done wrong or that he could have done better? I mean, it feels like somebody who's, like you said, art directing, constantly revising and critiquing the the path that he'd taken. Dave, uh, Dave is a very compartmentalized person. I, I have this trait in common with him, something that we sort of understood. You have different groups of friends. You sort of, you know, uh, get together with to do whatever it is. You know what I mean? I had my friends I used to play hockey with. I had my comic book friends. They don't really cross paths. I just sort of go and do the, the thing. And Dave, Dave had that too. You know, one of the things that was most admirable about Dave at the end was his sort of insistence not to change how he lived his life when he got sick. I think for him, the fa- the true failure would have been to allow it to change him, uh, change the parts of his approach to life that he you know, were important and integral to him. And so did you think about regrets? Sure, absolutely. He was getting a little bit older. He was only 52. But, you know, you, know, you get into those milestone years like Rob and I, you start to think about these things. But um, but it was more like, you know, he meandered about a bit in the 90s and he would say, oh, I wish I had I had buckled down and, and, and been more focused on a project, something else like the Rocketeer to continue on that momentum, you know. Um, every a lot of people have this issue, you know, creators and stuff of what to do next and 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 how much time do you spend trying to trying to figure that out. We're we're going to have our own problem with that too. Um, but like I mean, to the end, uh, I mean, I I last saw Dave. The last time I saw Dave Stevens was two days before he passed away. He was up in uh, Turlock. Um, you know, he was at like a Kaiser up there, and I drove up to help unpack some things because. His parent, his mom had moved him up there, uh, and they rented a little apartment for him to, to live in. You know, right near near where they could keep an eye on him. And uh, and when I went to see him, he, you know, he he was completely himself. You know, he looked a little bit disheveled, but like, you know, personality wise, it was like any other day. And I guess I, I've been told by his mom that he wasn't doing so well. So it was a shock to come go there and see him and have him just be the same old Dave. And for me to to walk out of the into the parking lot and be like and say out loud, I don't think that's the last time I'm going to see him. So he sort of fooled me in that respect. Like, um, and that's something. Uh, like I say, he was a very unique person. So there's a lot of these things where I don't necessarily understand everything. Um, other than he, it was hard to get that on the screen too. Trying to figure out how do I? This guy was really different. How do I? You know, how do we? you know, um, project that out there and get that impression. And I hope that that comes across, you know, that he was multifaceted um, as well as very focused, you know. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, I, I had um, troubles understanding him at times and other, there were parts of Dave that I agreed with and parts of Dave that I didn't agree with, but there were always parts that I was inspired by, that I was moved by. And Robert, as the editor of this project, you had the, lion's share of the job of crafting that sort of depiction uh, but how much footage did y'all shoot how many interviews did y'all do how much of this documentary is on editing room hard drive we, somewhere you know we shot 35 interviews and uh kelvin had detailed questions for everybody and we probably came with over 80 hours of footage of live interviews plus our, our archival footage of dave and his entire body of artwork and we crafted, we started from that 80 hours. My first paper cut was about four hours. When we assembled it. We watched that. They yelled at me. 
And then we cut that down to about two and a half. And then Kelvin and I really started to hone in. We knew we wanted to keep it around 100 minutes. And there's, yeah, there's a lot we had to cut out. Some of that, some of those stories made it to bonus features that will be on the Blu-ray that we're releasing through, a kick, through our Kickstarter. But there's, there's a lot to, a lot of debate of what stays in, what comes out, what's the most important part. And we try to get touch on Dave's life and legacy at all the milestones, all the good and all the bad, and really didn't hide anything because we want well, to present the story talk about the kickstarter a bit because um this is a kickstarter to put the the print media in people's hands um and i gotta say like one thing that i do appreciate is companies like idw who i think played a part in you you putting the documentary together uh they they did such a great job of cataloging dave's work my first instance of, of going into a comic shop and finding the rocketeer stuff was Dark Horse's prints of of his work. And then IDW recently, in the last couple of years, put together the definitive stuff. And most recently, Geekscapist, and I've talked about this on the podcast, there's a brand new Rocketeer book that IDW put four issues out of called The Great Race. And in the back, some of my familiarity going into the documentary was that there was a written history of Dave Stevens that they did as a backup bonus feature in these four issues. I hope it's written by Calvin Mao. And Calvin yes. was a part of that. So I rec- I knew, I mean, <laughs> trust me, when your publicist sent me this, I knew all about Calvin, at least from the written history of uh, Dave that were in those IDW backup pieces. And I was fired up to watch this. Again, I find him to be an incredibly uh, fascinating person. Talk about the Kickstarter and what that offers maybe beyond something that uh, the Geekscapers can download on digital and on demand on December 2nd. Well, you know, uh, you know, during the pandemic, I think for everyone, streaming became more of a thing. I mean, I think entertainment was moving in that direction anyway, not having physical media. But you know, we're we're geeks, we're we're comic book collectors, we're we're all kinds of collectors, and so um, we still like to have our physical media. And you know, this is one of those things where, like, I think today, of even a big documentary like Jiro Dreams of Sushi, something that's well known. I don't think would have gotten a Blu-ray release now. It would have come out on a streaming network exclusively or, you know, bounced around. And then you could watch it whenever you wanted to on your Apple TV or Roku, whatever. And so for us, it was important to try and like, let's have this thing that we can hold in our hands. And and, and at the end of the day, and, hope, and, we, and the hope is that other people do too. So that was the main, one of the main impetuses to do a Kickstarter. You know, the movie was done when we started the Kickstarter. So that we didn't need help with any completing anything but it would have been nice just to like know that like hey there's so many copies of this movie out there in people's hands and uh it's a physical thing and also there's a comic book the comic book is a very interesting thing it came about during the actual shooting um we discovered when we uh, interviewed danny bilson which i think was our i don't know maybe fourth or fifth shoot day right uh, and so uh, that he had, he and Paul DeMeo, who passed away uh, tragically in 2018, um, uh, had written this Rocketeer story that hadn't been published, a short story. And so then, uh, you know, Danny said, hey, could this ever be published? And I was, 
of course, then the ball gets rolling. You tell Adam Hughes, hey, there's this thing. And he says, well, send it to me. And, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, it was it's a it's a different story. It's a, I think Danny felt like it was a little on the quiet side. And he wasn't sure what Adam loved it, immediately jumped on board. And then that sort of had the uh, that was sort of the basis to do the, the rest of the conflict. I had written uh, myself for Rocketeer Adventures um, years ago for Scott, uh, a story that hadn't been um, hadn't been used because the Rocketeer Adventures ran for uh, two four issue arcs. and It was meant to do three. But the artists were so late by the time Scott Dunbeer came around to soliciting, I think, the third uh, four-issue uh, miniseries that they had to just sort of, you know, put it off until until they could remedy that. Um, and so we just said, hey, let's try and get as many people as we can involved with this book that um, worked on the documentary. So there's eight different people, uh, nine if you count Scott, uh, who, who have a hand in making this comic book occur without credit. So to me, that's kind of a neat thing. It's 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 just like the movie. Hey, let's get together with our three friends, make a movie. Hey, everyone making a movie. Let's get together and make a comic book. So that was sort of our our attitude. And you know, there is a sort of you know that sort of emotional aspect of of, of being able to get this final story out, written by the the Rockter screenwriters, and 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 you know, getting Adam Hughes, who is you know basically Dave's, you know. You know, he was his protege. Dave was his mentor, you know, um, getting that person who hadn't drawn the Rocketeer for print before, which is amazing um, to do this this thing. And, you know, Adam works for for Marvel Studios now. He's not a full time comic book artist. So it was it was tough and, and it had to be something that he wanted to do and had enthusiasm for. And then we have Laura Martin, you know, who recolored all Dave's work for IDW. She's doing colored one of the stories, um, you know, so that's. That's that's the gist of it. Everything else, everything else that's in the Kickstarter, we sort of pattern after. Uh, we have a, a good friend, um, uh, Jim uh, uh, Demonakos, uh, who uh, who directed the Mignola documentary. Who who they did a very good Kickstarter, so he uh, helped advise us as to uh, you know how to, how to go about this thing that we had never never done before. So borrow from the and- best. In the Kickstarter is live now. Is that what's going on with the Kickstarter? Like, talk to me about the Kickstarter. Because honestly, this is how I found out about the Kickstarter. Shane O'Hare, who is like the biggest Rocketeer fan, he, his I mean, he does DJ gigs. He DJed a party we did with Pow Entertainment at Comic-Con years ago. Uh, but his DJ name is The Last Rocketeer. He is a <laughs> massive Rocketeer fan. And um, he said, oh, my God, I got to donate to that Kickstarter. Um, talk to me about it because honestly, that was the first I'd heard of the Kickstarter and that's probably my failure with whatever online. I mean, I think y'all did a great job in the, the verbal, uh, written history in the great race. I think IDW did a great job promoting it. The, the Kickstarter go talk, talk about like what, what, if the geeks gamers can still jump in on that. Uh, Robbie, you want to probably not the Kickstarter ends, uh, Friday, this coming okay. Friday, December second. So I'm not quite is... sure how your production schedule is. I will put this up on Thursday. So, you <laughs> Geekscape, if you're listening to this live, and it hits the uh, frying pan, you got 24 hours to cook on that Kickstarter, and I'll be sharing it on social as well because this sounds pretty cool. Uh, and this is a different comic book through the Kickstarter than the one that IDW put out. Correct? Is that what I'm hearing here, Kevin? It's a one shot, it's just a one shot issue. It's essentially like one issue of the old Rocketeer Adventures that they put out back in 2011 or 2010, um, you know, with three stories, um, uh, one by, you know, 
the, the team of Bilson Demea, one by myself and one by our executive producer, uh, Robert Wyndham. Um, and then some, a pinup by by Laura uh, Marie Laura Sinapo, who who was in the movie, uh, and is a big a big uh, uh, fan of Dave's and influenced by him indirectly. We, one of the things we wanted to do was have some people in the movie that who's, who felt his influence without having met him. Um, I thought that was an interesting thing. We have you know Cristanio in there, who's a specialty costumer for Marvel movies and stuff. So he, you know, we got a great um, we got a great little bonus clip of of, of him coming up, which I won't spoil, but. Um, uh, you know, it, it, but the Kickstarter, this is all new to us. So it was a real, uh, kind of, uh, trial by fire with all the timings of the PR. And, you know, we knew that we should, we wanted to have this Kickstarter lead up to, you know, Samuel Goldwyn's digital release. But then there was this window of like exclusivity for like, you know, dropping the trailer and making the announcements. So we had to sort of, you know, shoehorn that Kickstarter in and, and we had just finished like I said, all the stuff in preparation for the release itself. There's all this paperwork and legal filings, and like I said, you're finishing the movie. While Almost finishing as much a work finishing it, than actually oh, producing. Y'all definitely leapt before you looked on this thing, and I mean, it is what it is. Like that's how you get things done. You, you just, I mean, you might have talked. I mean, maybe you might have talked yourself out of it or staggered it a different way in an, <laughs> in an unsuccessful way had you looked into it. So this is. This is just the way it goes, and and that is incredible. I mean, having Adam Hughes drawn Rocketeer artwork is worth the investment enough, Geekscapists. If you're listening to this, hop on that Kickstarter right now. Just Google it and be a part of that because that sounds incredible. And obviously, guys, when we get those Blu-rays or whatever you all have left over from the Kickstarter, let's make sure to have a little bit of a corner for you guys the uh, uh, Comic-Con next next year. It sounds like you you have other booths as well that are probably supportive of this. It sounds like Comic-Con is part of the community that supports you guys. Um, this is really, really awesome. And were you surprised by the reaction? I mean, obviously, The Rocketeer is not Marvel. It's not DC. It's not the stuff that's at the forefront of the barrage that we're getting of comic book material here in the last 15, 20 years. Um were you pleasantly surprised when you started kind of finding your way to putting this movie together that there was a, a massive audience waiting for you? Is there a massive audience? Answer that one. We have the confidence of the the interviewees, the the cast members, many of whom are you know, you know artists of you know Dave's uh, contemporaries or, or some you know a little bit older. Um, you know, to to you know to to to, to every last one when we approached them, you know, they were all very much, you know, if anyone deserves a rock a documentary, it's Dave Stevens. So that was like a real great sort of positive reinforcement. And and by the way, most of these people uh, could anchor their own documentaries. That's one of the things we, we realized as we were shooting these people, let's just keep shooting footage. Someone else might be able to use this stuff. You know, th- these, these, these artists and these people are getting older. So, um, you know, and then they were all, you know, sort of, uh, you know, in the, you know, they're established in their, their own right. Uh, so that that was sort of helped give us confidence and 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 surprise. It's hard to say. You know, everything was so tentative in terms of the hoping part of it. You know, uh, we were just we were just determined to do this, and the reason the schedule worked out the way it is because the three of us are all very enthusiastic and sort of hammer down guys. That's the pandemic did help with the working from home and no one knowing what we were doing, you know, <laughs> during certain hours of the daytime. But, um, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very gratifying, surprising. I'm not sure surprising the right, right word because you're hoping so much the whole time. You know what I mean? And so, so, 
um, you know, we're we're just we're just so relieved <laughs> that's not that's not terrible. You know what I mean? Oh, we we just tried to do our best. Is what we did. You know, and really, our, our goal was Dave may not have appreciated us making documentary, but he would not have hated it. He would have understood that we were striving for his level of perfection, and we've come as close as we possibly could without killing each other. And he would have found fault with it, of course, but we think you know he would have been okay. Not bad, guys. Not bad. And I think everybody we approached when we said we're doing the Dave Stevens documentary jumped on board. Everyone contributed. We had people agreeing to interviews and submitting artwork and sending us photos and helping us out in every way they could. So everyone loved Dave enough to realize this had to be made. And Kelvin was the only person that could pull it all together through his relationship with Dave and his relationship in the comic art community. It was no other way to do it. Well, Calvin and Rob, we have this documentary. We have the comic book that's coming out of the Kickstarter. We have the work of IDW and preserving and, and uh, putting out uh, Dave's work. Uh, the new comic book that they put out, The, the Great Race, that one uh, was fun. I, I loved it. Uh, I thought that it did a good job of, of capturing some of Dave's spirit. Going forward, for the fans of the Rocketeer, maybe this conversation is the first time people said, "Hey, I, sh- I should check this stuff out." And maybe they, they're discovering the Rocketeer and investing in that world uh, now. Where does it go? You know, without Dave here, is there a chance that somebody could reinvest in a Rocketeer film? There's been talk and rumors of a Rocketeer remake or new film for a long time. Uh, are there future possibilities for comic book releases of? new stories uh is there a team from maybe some of your interview subjects cast members from the documentary that would be um the perfect people to entrust with that kind of uh stuff going forward it's a, it's a tough question because most of the time when people do rocketeer stories or have done them since dave passed away you know they've been sort of like been mostly tributes or homages or approached with that that in mind because there is that reverence um, but I think in order for it to carry on beyond that for for long term, you know, you're hoping that someone probably younger will come along and take the reins and 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 kind of forge new ground. That's what I think probably needs to happen in order for it to gain like a a, a new life beyond like so, something that was like a pure reboot. You know what I mean? Where you just do the same thing again. Um, my own theory, and I, I've had some ideas myself about this in terms of a pitch. Is it is it the, the as I said before the period aspect of the Rocketeer that if you wanted to do another Rocketeer a great idea would be to move forward in time a little bit to a different distinctive visual time period era if you will sixties you know or eighties and and infuse it with that uh, and and you know that to me is the way to um, to to have it go forward and and you know breathe life into it is is by taking the enthusiasm that somebody else has for a different era that Dave had for the 30s and trying to uh, craft a, a new story around that. I, I think that could be a really successful thing. And you could there's a lot of things you could play with now um, in terms of gender and you know the identity of the the characters. Um, yeah, I mean there's there's all kinds of things you could do, but it would take someone with the dedication. You know, because you're going to have to approach it like Dave. I mean, Stephen Mooney did a great job with the Great Race. You know, he wrote it, he he drew it, he you know tried to infuse all the nostalgic stuff and 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 bridge you know between 
Dave's work and his work because it's been a bit of a gap between the previous uh, story from IDW. They made a lot of efforts, but it is difficult to find somebody to do this type of illustrative uh, artwork in, in comic books now. Um, so that's that's sort of how I f- feel about it. I think it's definitely there's the potential there, but you know, I, it's a it's a tricky thing, you know, following in, in, in footsteps like this, you know. It might seem sacrilegious, but I worry that moving the character too far beyond the 30s, and obviously the Great Race had dealt with uh, Nazis. We love punching Nazis. Um, and so that started hinting towards the the character existing in some form of the 40s. Um, ultimately, the design of the character is such an incredible part the visual i mean he looks like a hood ornament off of one of those 1930s cars and would reinterpreting that character into the 60s maybe aging cliff secord into the 60s uh there it seems like they're doing that with indiana jones in the next installment on on the feature on the, the big screen um does that necessitate a change in this iconic look, which is so much of the appeal of the Rocketeer, not that it's the entire substance of the character. Uh, the sixties and the eighties had different looks. Um, does that mean the helmet changes, the character changes? Well, I mean, Dave loved you know cars from the fifties and sixties and the hot rodding stuff. You know, I mean, what year was American Graffiti wrong? Do you remember what year that was? Produced in seventy two, set in sixty three. So, you know, um, he loved that that era, too, which is technically beyond the Rocketeer. And I think Dave could have just as easily designed something using his love of that period. I think, like I said, it will require an artist who really loves and gets the aesthetic of whatever period it is. And I'm sure that there are people who would disagree with moving the character. And I'm sure you could do another adventure like a, you know, a, 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 a finite adventure in the 30s. You know, but I'm 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 looking at it more from a like, you know what I mean, like thirty years from now. How does how does how does it persevere the way I mean Batman or Superman has? Those characters have changed in their appearance and the aesthetic, you know, um as time has moved on. I mean, they've tried to keep up with the you know, with, with the contemporary time because they're not supposed to be uh, period heroes. But I, I do think, you know, uh I do think that someone could do something really great, you know, with this this approach. But you'd have to be and probably as committed to Dave to to really make it work, you know, no half measures, right? No half measures on that. No, it has committed to be the entire world. Of the world. <laughs> um, does Hollywood have to lead the way on some of that? I don't. I, I mean, I think IDW. If they go ahead, Rob, go ahead. Oh, uh, I mean, the movies are still going to be the most forward, or TV show will still get the most eyeballs to any character, or any property. And if that's something that comes to pass in the near future, I think that's fantastic. I'll certainly be there on day one to watch and support it. But the Rocketeer's origins are in print, and I think there's more opportunity in that realm, in that medium, than in film, at least at this point. Calvin sure. may know more. Uh, certainly, I think you know IDW is very enthusiastic. They've been great uh, sort of standard bearers for, for for Dave and Scott Dunbar in particular. That's why they're there. Um, uh, when Dave passed away, uh, I and another good friend of a good friend of Dave uh, Stevens, Dave Mandel, um, who's a well-known comic art collector and a you know television and film uh, writer producer, um, we sort of helped the family, you know navigate um you know what to do about the estate and whatnot so 
and we were very lucky to be able to find the place to to take the all the the print stuff and 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 have it done have it done right you know so um i'm sure there would be they're always looking scott's always looking for somebody you know um but uh, rob's right you know i mean it, it, these days like tv and and uh the film are where the eyeballs are i mean obviously if someone could do a streaming rocketeer series that would be, <laughs> be, be do 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 you know it would be a, a you know wonders for for the exposure um but you know in terms of trying to experiment and work out like what the next version should be you know as a playground as a sandbox and then comics is comics is probably the way to, to go and, and 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 somebody can really you know try and stretch i think you know in that situation without it being millions of dollars you know and just like dave they can you know be their own director on that page you know and, and make make something their own i think that's really what it is it's like someone's gonna have to you know i mean you know the tim burton did an incredible batman you know but it was still made by bob kane but someone took it and you know put their stamp on it you know you know uh uh, uh christopher nolan too you know that you know th it is possible for for multiple people to take a character and put their imprint on it and still retain the essence of what made it great and so appealing in, in the first place and i think rob is right because both those directors will tell you that tim burton was influenced by arkham asylum and you know clearly those those act those directors were influenced by you know uh dark knight returns and those those big publications, those, I mean, those are real turning points in defining Batman, even in the late, you know, the later stages of Batman. Um, and you're right. Somebody would have like a, like a Frank Miller type would have to have a signature take in order to define the character and sort of reintroduce it to a, a new era of fans. Uh, IDW does have that TV department. And, you know, I know that they're busy in looking for opportunities. I mean, I think a streaming show would be amazing, but without the bedrock of uh, new content, I mean, you see how much Marvel is leaning on their old, you know, on their comic book stories for the storylines in their films, you know, then, uh, then maybe things are straying a little too much from the source. You know, this is still very much a comic book uh, character. Well, Guys, it, it's been amazing talking to you. And I know Shane O'Hare is listening and, and he's happy. He wanted me. He, he I said, hey, you have any questions for these guys? And he said, I have one factoid, which is um, that the Zeppelin explosion in Joe Johnson's Rocketeer film at the time was the most single, single most expensive VFX shot ever in Hollywood. And that the person, and I'm going to read this text to Geekscape real quick because I want to get this right as far as Shane's words are concerned. <laughs> Um, he says, uh, uh, he says the only wild trivia that I know about the movie, which I don't know how you'd incorporate it. Well, I'm incorporating it now. He says the guy who directed the Zeppelin model explosion, maybe the VFX designer, his dad was on the Hindenburg. Wow. Yeah. So maybe, uh, I've got a, a couple connections to Joe Johnson. Maybe it's time I have Joe Johnson on the, on the, uh, on the show and say, Joe, can you talk to us about making the Rocketeer movie? Uh, oh, the humanity. Yeah, then I'm going to, of course, ask him a bunch of movies about uh, questions about Boba Fett and Jurassic Park 3 and uh, Captain America First Adventure. No, Joe, Joe was stuff. great. He went on and on. We, we talked to him about the um, the animated sequence, the, the propaganda yeah. film. And he, um, yeah, Joe's, Joe, Joe was really great. He was really generous with his time. And, and uh, I think he stayed for a little longer than he 
he thought did. he was going to, but you know, one, he, one of the things we actually had to cut was Joe talking about filming his little cameo with Dave. That Dave and cool. Joe were both in the German flashback film. Yeah, you see, you see a still of it in the documentary. Yeah. Right, I right. Saw the the, test yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw the still in the documentary. I said, wait, wait, wait what the heck is that? Because <laughs> it's both Joe Johnson and Dave in costume. And there it is. I mean, if y'all love the Boba Fett, who Joe Johnson reportedly was on set of Return of the Jedi, uh, then... Um, you know, he had a hand in Boba Fett. I mean, the Rockets oh, Joe, Joe Boba designed Boba Fett. I think he, did he the designed Boba Fett. And Joe, jo- and, I mean, I, I just thought it was so appropriate that Joe Johnson directed the Rocketeer movie because the Rocketeer design and the Boba Fett design have similar DNA, right? And Joe Johnson they, they designed had, one. And they yeah. definitely had the same aesthetic. They, Dave and Dave and Joe shared that in common. I mean, um, Joe also designed the Iron Giant. I don't know if you knew that. You know, That's I mean? incredible. So that sort of retro. He really did did love that time period. So. He, you're starting to talk me out of any time leap for this character <laughs> because, because that aesthetic is so awesome and so much fun. Um, and so is your documentary, guys. And I want to really thank you for coming on Geekscape. This is awesome. Come back anytime. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Awesome. I really appreciate having us and spreading the word about our film. Of course. Rob, you said this is your first interview. Um, My first interview. Yeah. How was it? Was it okay? Best interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> wait, we're one wait, this for is one. my first interview. Wait, <laughs> is that right? One. Is that true, right, Kelvin? This is the first thing we've done for this, I think, other than maybe answering some questions through email or something like that. Incredible. So. Well, I really appreciate yeah. y'all taking the time, and um, uh, we'll see you in July, and we'll, we'll, see, see we'll keep promoting. Geekscapus, again, if this is hitting your feed right off the bat, uh, thank you for making Geekscape your first listen of the day. Hop on that Kickstarter, all right, folks? Because it is going fast, and we don't know how many copies you're going to make, so you get, you get to dictate that. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, thanks. so much, John. Wow, how great was that conversation? I want to thank Kelvin and Rob for taking the time to talk to me about Dave Stevens, the Rocketeer, and pop culture. If you're listening to this episode after December 2nd, well... Go order Dave Stevens' Drawn to Perfection on digital and on demand. If you happen to be listening to this on the day of release, maybe you have a chance to go to that Kickstarter and donate. Uh, You can get the comic book that we talked about in the episode, the Blu-ray. I, of course, want to reach out to Kelvin and invite him and Rob to the Geekscape booth at Comic-Con next summer. There's a ton of stuff coming up in the future, including in the immediate future. There's a lot of content that's going to be coming from LA Comic-Con this weekend. Uh, Let me pull up the schedule, but I've got uh, a podcast creation panel on Saturday, along with a conversation with Steve Burns, who is the host of Blues Clues, and also talking about childhoods and people who uh, raised us. Our good friend LeVar Burton is another conversation I'm having on Saturday at LA Comic Con. I'm going to try and record those and put them on the feed in the near future. And then on Sunday, we have some amazing ones. I'm talking to Amy Jo Johnson from the Power Rangers uh, on the main stage. I'm going to try and record that as well. And I'm following that all up with a big LACC wrap-up Geekscape Live. I'm going to invite some of the people from the network to be a part of it. It's going to be a bit of a party. I really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I just know that we're going to wrap up LA Comic Con and hope to, if you can't make the convention, bring you there in spirit and you'll hear of our adventures and experiences. So that'll be fun. And of course, there's tons of Geekscape coming down the pipe. Uh, We have that big fundraiser coming up on the 9th for Big Brothers Big Sisters. You can donate now on the link. We have it out on our social media uh, right now on Facebook, 
and on Twitter and on Instagram. Go to the Geekscape Forever Instagram page. You can definitely find it right there in the links in the bio. Uh, there's just a lot that we're getting involved in, and we're always having fun. I, <laughs> Shane O'Hare, who we mentioned a lot on the episode, texted me and said, hey, man, you need to take a break. Well, I will. I mean, I'm going to Thailand for my honeymoon. I'm very much looking forward to that. But there's a lot of content that I'm scheduling on this feed. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, share this with your friends. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star review. Do all those things that really help us out, help out our visibility. All right? Because we do this for you for free. And all we ask is that you spread the love and the excitement and say hello when you see us down the road. All right, Geekscapists. We'll see you at LA Comic Con. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.